Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Welcome to church. It really is amazing to have you. We're going to have a little bit of fun tonight. We're kicking off a new series called Love Thy Neighborhood. Um, it's a very catchy name. I know we'll give that to Gabe. Um, but it really, we're excited to kick this off. If you were in life groups this week, you would have been a part of, of, of that. And, and we kicked it off in life groups on Tuesday night. So we're a little bit ahead of the game, which is cool. And, and we, we, it was really rad. I was at my life group and, and just some great discussion around this, which is great. So please, if I can say get into a life group, they really are great. If you're a life group leader here, can you just raise your hands very quickly? These are all of our amazing life group leaders. So if you're not in a life group, Speak to one of them afterwards. There's a very pretty one in the front row over here, but that's a different thing altogether. My name is Tyler. It really is a privilege to, to, be, to be able to preach to you guys tonight. Um, and, and as I said, we are kicking off this brand new series. Let me start that timer, otherwise I'll be here for very long. Um, but we're kicking off this new series, and, and as the name suggests, it's about loving our neighborhood, loving the people around us, loving the people that we get to interact with every day. Um, and, and over this series, over these next few weeks, we want to answer the question, how can we become the best people our neighbors could ever have hoped to live next to? And I, I think that's a great question because I, I think either you're a person who knows your neighbors really, really well. So I live with an amazing couple named Jake and Sam, and they are like best friends with their neighbors. They quite frequently will open the doors and the neighbor's dogs are over for a visit and it's all happening. Um, and, and they, honestly, it's quite amazing. They know every neighbor you could imagine on that street and, and they're incredible. And then I know other people who could not tell you the name of their neighbors that have been next to them uh, for the last 15 years. And that's okay, because we're all on a journey. Um, and so we want to really just get stuck into this and, and challenge one another. Is that all right? Um, I think church is supposed to be a challenging space. It's supposed to be a space where we, we engage with things, we wrestle with things. If, you, if, you, if you're not 100% sure about something I say tonight, please can I ask you to go wrestle with it. Ask questions. Uh, um, uh, the pulpit is not a place where we simply tell you what to do, but rather it's a space where we challenge and then we wrestle these things together. So, so remember to do that. If I say something good, you're welcome to say, that's great, amen, woo, I'm open to woo, you can give me a woo, this section's very good, you guys will get there, it's all good. Um, but so we're going to get stuck into this tonight, and, and this really is a commissioning series. We don't, we're not um, necessarily just wanting to speak about topics, but we're wanting to commission you, commission you into more, send you into the more that God has for your life. Because the incredible thing is that the Word of God says that the, the purposes of God are good, pleasing, and perfect. And I often mention this when I preach because I have a passion to live in that reality. That actually the purposes of God are good, pleasing, and perfect. And so when we do these kinds of series where it's a commissioning series, it's looking at, at what our call is as Christians. We want to send you into that space, which is really, really cool. We live in an incredible city filled with, with so many different types of people, so many different um, religions, different um, opinions about life, different workspaces, different economic spaces. And we as Christians get the incredible privilege of being commissioned to love the people of this city. And I want to say to you guys tonight that when we catch a hold of this, it really will transform our lives. And it will call us to so much more. 
So tonight I thought I'd kick off, I, I'm only 23 years old, so I haven't been around for very long. Um, yes, well done, well done for getting there. Um, but, but I want to tell you guys a little bit about a few of the neighbors I've had over the years. My very first crush was one of my neighbors. She was two doors down. I lived next to her for six years, and I never, ever had um, the courage to go and speak to her. So that was great. Still don't know her name, um, but I'm sure she's very happy without me, which is great. Um, so my first crush was one of my neighbors. I also had a, we lived in, for a lot of my life, I lived in Johannesburg, and then I moved to the promised land. Um, but, but Joburg is great. It really is fantastic most of the time when you can breathe, but that's a different thing. Um, but I remember until I was 12 years old, I lived in Johannesburg, and, and we always lived in complexes, as one does in Joburg, because they have high walls and electric fences. Um, and so what we would do, and you can say that when you're from Joburg, you're allowed to say, if you're not from Joburg, you're not allowed to say those kinds of things. Um, but I just remember we had, uh, we would, as these young kids on our bicycles, which we thought were our racing cars, we would form these, um, what we called uh, our, our, our um, complex gang. And really what this was, was groups of kids who became friends and rode their bicycles really fast down the hill. That's what the complex gang was. But I remember one day, this, this, and I had a trampoline. So my house was the place to be. Everybody wanted to come to my house. I strategically placed that there because without that, I wouldn't have had any much friends outside of that. So I thought, let me buy a trampoline. But then I remember this young boy moved into our, our, our complex who was a a bigger bone gentleman. He was, he was a, a slightly larger young guy. And I remember what they would do is when I wasn't home, would sneak into my garden and jump on my trampoline. And the one day they thought I wasn't home. And this young guy thought, this is my gap. He lived next door to me. He, uh, we didn't really have fences. We had these small little fences. He jumped over. And, and I was looking through the window wondering, what is going on here? And it was one bounce, two bounces, three right through my trampoline. And I remember going, I'll never speak to one of my neighbors again. That was the end of it. I was so broken. This, this little 11-year-old boy no longer has a trampoline. And that guy stood there in the middle of my trampoline for quite a long while. And the fright on his face when I walked out of those doors was quite petrifying. Just his, in his head, pocket money disappearing as he was going. Never saw him again. They moved out. Um, but some uh, fonder stories we are... Uh, a couple who lived across the way from me and my mom here in Cape Town named Andrew and Ange Aldridge. Some of you guys will know them. Because of them, I'm part of this church. And I literally just started playing soccer with them. They invited me to play some soccer with them one afternoon with Andrew. Ange didn't really play. Um, but, but they invited me over and, and just became friends with a whole bunch of people in this church, started coming here, and started a journey with God. I had another, um, in our complex in Joburg, another couple who were across from us. They were an Indian couple. His name was Malik. Her name was V. And quite often when I was walking down, he'd say, E, man, you want to come around for a quick biryani? And I was always like, I did not know what this food was. So I was like, okay. And I would go into my room. And the one night he convinced me, he said, hey, man, come, come for biryani. I'll give you one special. And I went over there and I had the hottest food I've ever dr- eaten in my entire life. I remember eating, uh, drinking four bottles of water that night. I couldn't sleep. It was ridiculous. He put eight tablespoons of curry powder into that thing. I think he was trying to kill me. He was tired of my loud music, and that was the end of it. But so a little bit of fun with your neighbors. So can I say to you, meet your neighbors. They might give you great food. They might break your trampoline. They might invite you to church. You never know what will happen. But tonight, on a, uh, on a slightly more serious note, I'd love to get stuck into some scripture. And what we're going to be doing over the series is we are going to be looking at different moments when Jesus interacted with people. 
Because I believe that the best teacher we could ever learn from is Jesus. He, he gave us the perfect model. He gave us incredible stories. Uh, the Gospels are filled with these stories where we can engage with the way that Jesus dealt with people. Um, and so what I would love for us to do is, Gabe did this this morning, I, would, I thought we could do it this evening, is we're going to read a passage of Scripture together. But can I ask us to stand? And we don't do this for any other reason than to say that we are passionate about the Word of God. We don't do this very often. The Scripture will be on the screen behind me. But we're going to read together. This is called um, a portion of Scripture, the healing at the pool on the Sabbath. Starts from uh, verse 5, um, or verse 2, sorry. There. Now they're in Jerusalem. By the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which, was, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who who said this to you? Take up your bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. This is an incredible portion of Scripture. If you can take your seats. It's this amazing portion of Scripture in John 5. And it really is an incredible story. And just to give you a little bit of context, this pool was very near to the, the temple of the day where the Jewish people would come and worship together. It was uh, just down the way from the, the temple. At the time, there was a festival or feast named Pentecost, which was the celebratory feast that they were having where all the Jews would be together. And then down the way from here was this massive pool that had these big corridors around the pool and one going through the center. That's what those colonnades are. And Jesus goes to this place, and what would happen is lined along the sides of these colonnades, these walkways, would be these paralyzed men. This, the, the text calls them invalids. Some of them uh, call them, uh, in other texts, it, it simply calls them cripples or, or people who are unable to live normally in society. And, and this pool was scattered with these people. And the reason that this pool was scattered with these people is because they believed that on occasion an angel would come down from heaven, that angel would stir the water, and the first person to get into the water when it was stirred would be miraculously healed. And so all of these people gathered around this pool. And then we step into this moment where Jesus engages um, with this man. And, and before we get stuck into this, I really want to say to you, I don't believe that any moment in the, in the Gospels, any parable or any moment where Jesus engages with someone is simply a moment. I think that in every moment, Jesus is using it to teach and to grow people. I could imagine his disciples were in the space at the time and they were learning from what Jesus was doing. And so I would ask you that these stories are not simply for then. These stories are for now. They are an opportunity for us to learn from the best teacher you could ever imagine. 
I want to say to you, if you do not know Christ tonight, I pray that this display of mercy and grace would show you our beautiful Savior. Because He is an incredible King who will take you into so much more than you could ever imagine. And so tonight, as we get stuck into this, I'm going to make three very simple points and then I'll be done. But I trust as I make these points, you would catch on to the series of love thy neighborhood as a, almost an indicator of how to engage with people. This is a practical sermon. It's a, a way to engage. And I trust that this really would um, call us to more. Is that all right? So my first point tonight, and it's a very simple one, is open your eyes. And this text in, in, in verse 6, it says this, When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? I want to emphasize that, that statement, when Jesus saw him lying there. I think it's, it, it's, just, it's the simple line. It's almost just put into the scripture. It's a, it's, I think most of us in reading this would pass over that. But there was just something about that that caught me in, in light of this Love Thy Neighborhood series where Jesus saw this man. I believe that in that moment, Jesus' eyes were open to the situation of the man. Jesus' eyes were open to to the space that the man was in. Jesus' eyes were open to this man's reality. And you know, I think so often we live a a life with blinkers on. I don't know if you've ever seen horse races, but they put blinkers on the horse so that it will only run straight. It will consistently go forward. And I think tonight Jesus is calling us to take the blinkers off. Because you know what I think that looks like? It it looks like when our lives are consumed with what we are worried about, with what we are concerned about, with what we are chasing after, Jesus takes the blinkers off our eyes and all of a sudden our eyes are opened to this world in which we live. And I believe that tonight God is calling us as, as believers in Christ to engage with people, for our eyes to be opened and to see people. I just uh, asked myself the question in, in reading this. I said, what does it look like to see people? What does it look like to open your eyes? And I believe, firstly, you open your eyes to the people that are right in front of you. I think so often the, the call of missions is that we would go to far-off countries and in, engage with people who are broken and in poverty in those spaces, and, and we build homes and do these things. But actually, I believe that the call of God is that we would simply open our eyes to those people right in front of us. I want to say to you that every single day, some of you go to school, some of you go to work, some of you go to all these various places, and there are people in front of you who our incredible Jesus has a destiny for. And what's amazing about that is quite often their destiny is determined by your choice to open your eyes to their scenario. Because Jesus uses people by His incredible grace. I want to say that when we open our eyes, it's, it's so that number one, we would see brokenness. Because you know what, when we open our eyes to the reality of people's lives, we don't necessarily offer them a solution, but we engage with them and we offer them Jesus. I think as we engage in this Love Thy Neighborhood series, loving is not necessarily having the answer for people, but sometimes it's just seeing where they're at. Often have conversations with people where I'm going, well, how are you? No, not great. What's going on? And it's simply a moment where you get to engage with that person. Sometimes it's opening your eyes to the opportunities that you might be able to open for that person. Can I say to you, the opportunity of friendship is an incredible thing. I think we live in a world that is very, very lonely. And when we open our eyes to people, we open our eyes to the neighbor across the road, who for some reason we never see coming out of their house, because maybe they never do. 
we, we see that person and we are able to engage with them in simple things. I really believe that this series is not a, a call to be profound or a call to, to have the best sermons to preach to people. It's simply a call to opening our eyes to the scenarios of people. Simply a call to go, maybe I can make a difference in that person's world. And I really believe that tonight as we, as we go on this journey, our neighborhoods are filled with people who need us to see. When we have our, our eyes open to God and our ears open, God can use us in incredible ways. I've heard so many stories of, of simple things transforming people's lives. Simple moments where it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's some food when somebody doesn't, doesn't have. It's a, hey, how are you? I hope you have a good day. It's a, hey, do you want to come around for a meal? It's these incredible moments that God uses us. But if we don't open our eyes, we will not see those opportunities. Let's take the blinkers off. Let's see God use us. Andy Stanley has this amazing quote, and, and I love it, and we've mentioned it a couple of times before, but it says this, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And I think we live in a world that is overwhelmed with brokenness. It is overwhelmed with hurting people. And God has graced us with a solution. His name is Jesus. And then he says to us, take small steps. So for some of you this week, it might just be nodding at your neighbor that you've never done before. But actually do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Because somebody did for me what they wished they could do for everyone. They chose to do for me. And it transformed my life. So number one, open your eyes. Number two, I want to say open your homes. And this might be for those younger guys here who don't necessarily have their own homes yet. You might be like, I can get out of this one. But it's amazing, this scripture where it says, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gates a pool in, Aram, uh, in Aramaic called Bethesda. And the definition of Bethesda is a place of hope, a pool of hope. And it's quite an amazing thing. And I just read that in a footnote in my Bible and I thought, wow, that's incredible. Because I want to turn my spaces into places of hope. I want to turn the spaces where I am in into places of hope. My workplace, my friendship circles, the place where I live. All of these places, our, our homes, our offices, our desks, our cars, the coffee shops we go to. Imagine you turn those into a place of hope. And I want to say to you, that doesn't mean that you have to have all the answers. But rather, and I, I asked myself this question, I said, what does it look like to turn a place into a place of hope? A place where people can feel safe. You know that there's something so powerful in the ability for someone to come and engage with you and not feel judged. If somebody can step into your world with their brokenness, their hurting, whatever's going on in their world, maybe they're on top of the world. But if they can step into your world and not feel judged, it is one of the most powerful gifts and the most powerful abilities that we can have is to learn that skill. A place where they don't feel judged, a place where they feel safe, a place where they can come to when life is at its worst. Because, you know, often we engage with people when life is good. But eventually life won't be so great. Eventually people will step into a space where actually things are not going phenomenally well. And you know what I trust? I trust that the places that I have intentionally turned into places of hope would be the place that they run to when they need that hope. That, that is what this pool was. It was a place where these men and women, they, they, in their minds they thought, that is a place of hope. Maybe, just maybe, when that water is stirred, I will be able to jump in there. And they go to that place of hope, and, and they don't, that man didn't simply get healing. He got a savior. I think sometimes our engagement with people can be so incredibly practical, and God will open doors where we can show them an amazing savior. 
I was quite struck by that word in the text where he says invalid. And, it's a, and in different translations, they use different words. But I was just so caught by that. And I asked myself the question, which people do I place into the invalid folder in my life? Which people do I go, well, maybe, no, they can't come to my house. They, no, they just, they won't fit in. Well, actually, no, they can't be part of my friendship circle. We've got a good thing going. I think so often we engage people like that. And I think sometimes Jesus is just wanting to uproot that in us. He's just wanting us to, to be able to engage with people that previously we have gone, no, they're probably not going to fit into my world. I think that's what this series is about. I think it's about jogging the way that we think about things. And I, and I, I, I realize that for all of us, there are different stigmas and different realities inside us. And if we don't admit that, I think admitting that is the, the first step toward God doing a work in our hearts. It's actually going, okay, this is something that is not godly in my life. Jesus, would you come and break in? We had an amazing discussion at Life Group about this and, and different people being super vulnerable about actually, well, that person's an invalid in my world. I almost just switched them off. And I want to ask you, and, and that's a question we can only answer for ourselves, is actually who are the people in our worlds that we don't engage with, that we switch off? Because I think when we open up our worlds to those people, we'll start seeing radical transformation, one person at a time. As we open up our, our places of hope to those people, they might meet an incredible Savior. And you might open that space up to them for five years, for 10 years, for 20 years. But eventually God will get in. He will use you. As Gabe said this morning, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is within us. That means every place we go to, the kingdom of God is there. It's quite a radical thought when we engage and, and grapple with that. I love I had, uh, particularly at school, you have many friends who will, they, they tell you about all these great things that they have. Like uh, when, I, when I was at school, we, we weren't that advanced, but cell phones were the, the new thing when I was in primary school. And I remember my friends were always telling me, you know, I just got the new Samsung D500. Now, most of you might not remember that phone, but it was a slide-up phone, and you would be very cool if you had a D500. But the problem was we never, ever saw that D500. We got told about how great it was. It has a color screen. It was cutting edge at the time. You can play Snake and Snake 2 in color. Cutting edge at the time. But we never saw that phone. But he told us about it every day. And you know what I think sometimes, and this might be a, um, and it's a, it's a, a simple analogy, but you know what I think sometimes Christians are tellers and not showers. I think sometimes we tell people a lot about God but we don't show people God. I think that's how Christians get the label hypocrite. We're so quick to go, oh, no, no, I know what you must do better. I know, I, know, I, t- I can fix that problem for you, no problem. But as soon as those people engage with our world, no, 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 this is private. This is in my heart. Don't come into my home. And I think Christians develop, and, and not you guys, other Christians, not you guys. But I think we develop these, these labels. Why? Because we're very quickly to, quick to tell the world what it needs to do better. But let's learn to show the world what, who Jesus is. Sometimes it's, it's far easier to engage from afar than it is to engage from close. It's far easier to tell people what to do better than to get stuck into their world. But I tell you, the fruit of that is absolutely incredible. Family, friends, people who, who are different to you, people who process things different. I, I know my family is a huge challenge for me. They are so unbelievably different. Christmas is a tough day for me. I don't really know what to say to anyone 
because they've all had five shots of tequila before they've even walked in the door and it's nine in the morning. It's a real thing. And I struggle, but I've been challenged by God saying, how are you going to engage with your family? How are you going to do that? My family think it is the most hysterical thing in the world that I work for a church. They really, they laugh at me every Christmas. They're like, what exactly is it that you do? I'm like, no, it's just, it's very complicated. It's like many different roles. They're like, you only work on Sundays, hey? Yes. And it is this amazing thing that we have to process in our hearts how to engage with people. I love something I've been so challenged by in, in Mr. Phillips over here. Is his, he, he, I've seen Gabe engage with more people over sport than you could ever imagine. Like Gabe, someone walks into church and within five minutes he will find out if they support Liverpool. It's incredible. If they don't, he doesn't speak to them again. But um, if you're a Manchester United fan, you can come speak to me. I support from a distance. Um, I don't have DSTV at home. But, um, but it's this amazing thing that sometimes we can, we'll, we can learn things simply for the sake of engaging with people. Sometimes we can, we can um, choose to step into a space that's not super comfortable simply for the privilege of engaging with people. Because God will use us in amazing ways. So number one, open your eyes. Number two, open your homes, open your spaces, turn them into places of hope. And then number three is open your hearts. And as I say this, I love it. Um, that whole second part of that scripture is about the Jews telling the man and telling Jesus, you cannot heal this man. Now, almost I, I, as you read the scripture, you get the tone that they're almost like, okay, your legs need to stop working and you need to go sit on your mat again. Go, go, no, go, go back, go back. It's almost this like profound moment where this man who has not wor- uh, walked or worked for 38 years is miraculously healed. I can imagine the moment. He was like, I'm taking my mat. I'm going for a run. Like it's just, this is a huge moment for this guy. And these Jewish guys come now, go back, back. And you're like, surely you need to see the incredible moment that is here. The scripture says it's so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. And I believe so quickly we can allow religion, we can allow our rightness to get in the way of seeing the grace of God over people's lives. And I think this happens because we forget how broken we were. We forget how much Jesus saved us. We forget how lost we were. And that he would rip us out of darkness and put us into light. There's something in that, that when I have a revelation, when I realize that thing, my heart cannot help but explode for people. But I think so quick, and I, I think hardness of heart doesn't happen quickly. I think it's a slow thing where the enemy will put little drops into our heart, trying to harden it, harden it, harden it. And eventually we get to the point where we will see a man healed who hasn't walked for 38 years. And we'll go, today's not the day. It's like this profoundly bad view of God that these men had. And I want to say to us tonight, we need to learn to open our hearts and keep them soft. I want to say, if you want a soft heart, deal with offense quickly. If you're offended, deal with it quickly. Because offense just builds offense around you. That's all it does. That's all offense does. I want to say, if you want to keep a soft heart, engage with God all the time even when it doesn't seem like the most glamorous thing in the world. Because there's something about engaging with the Word of God and the presence of God that builds faith for us to do these things that are often so scary. We had life group on Tuesday night, and the guy said, the most difficult thing for me to do is speak to my friends about God. And sometimes that is super challenging. 
But when we're in God's presence, He gives us faith for those things. Now, please hear what I'm, don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't go run up to your friends and preach to them this week. But just take the moment. Hear God. Keep your heart soft. I think that hardness of heart is the one thing in the world that makes the power of the church null and void. It is this thing that I believe the enemy uses so often to remove our capacity to love our neighborhoods. To remove our our ability to step into those spaces, to create those places of hope. Why? Because I'm right. I know what's right. These Jewish men were right. The law said don't heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus engages with them and he shows them that actually God is concerned with uh, people's hearts. He wants to see people set free. I love that about Jesus. I love that there's a a feast going on in the temple next door and Jesus chooses to go and engage with the people at this pool. Why? Because they needed hope. They needed the grace of God. And the incredible thing is that God gives us those things. He says, actually, I'm not going to do this on my own. I'm going to send out hundreds of thousands of millions of my disciples to go and transform the world. One neighbor at a time. One friendship at a time. One squash friend at a time. It really is, you can, there's so many spaces and places we can enter into. I want to say to you, make a coffee shop your regular. I go to News Cafe almost every week. I know the waiters there. I know people who go there all the time. Reload's a great spot. Rianus works there. He's at the back. Go make that your coffee shop. Why? Because actually you'll get to engage with the same people all the time. Go have your haircuts in the same place. Go do those things. They are simple, practical things that will get us started on this love thy neighborhood journey. Make, uh, bake a, a batch of cupcakes and go give them to your neighbor. They'll love them. Just make sure they're gluten-free and all those things because it's a new thing that we have to be aware of. And so as I land tonight, I'd love for us to, to read a scripture that, that is the kind of hinge scripture of this, of this series. And, and I love it. It's out of the message. It's Matthew 10, 4 to 10. I mean, it'll be on the screen behind me. It says this, Jesus sent his 12 harvest hands out with this charge. Don't begin by traveling to some far-off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. Kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. I'm going to read that again. Don't begin by traveling to some far-off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. Kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. What I love about that scripture is it calls us to a couple of simple things, and it calls us to a couple of big things. So I personally haven't raised anyone from the dead recently. I'm just being honest. But I want to say that, and I I was um, having a a chat with one of our youth guys, and I want to say to you that faith is built one small step at a time. Faith is built one small step at a time. We were chatting about his friends who don't know God, and, and he was saying, you know what? If I had to go to one of my friends, and his arm was broken, and I had to pray for it, and they'd had to get healed, they would believe in Jesus. And I was like, so why don't you do that? And he was like, I'm not sure if it's going to get healed. Which actually is okay, guys. But I want to say to you, take small steps. Go up to someone who you know and pray for them if they've got flu, possibly. And see God do something great. And slowly but surely, that muscle will grow. 
and you will step into the more that God describes in this scripture. Don't go to far off places. Start in your neighborhoods. And I want to say to you, uh, we're going to be doing this series over the next four weeks. And I want to say, don't let this series just be another sermon you hear at church. Because we can so quickly do that. We can so quickly, oh, that was good. He did really well. I, want to, I really want you over this series to allow God to awaken something inside of you. Because I, I, I believe this, that the Bible uses this word. It says the priesthood of all believers. It's not the priesthood of the really good-looking red-headed pastor. That's not what it says. It says the priesthood of all believers. That means that each and every one of us are called to change the world. One small step at a time. And so what I would ask is that you would allow this series, as we engage in home groups, as we engage on Sundays, to awaken something in your heart to see this city transformed. Is that all right? Can I pray for us? Can we stand? Let's stand together, and I'd love to pray for us. Father God, I thank you for this incredible group of people. I thank you, Jesus, that you have designed each and every one of us for a specific call, for a specific place, for a specific time. And I pray that tonight, God, as we embark on this series of Love Thy Neighborhood, you would awaken something for our neighborhood in our hearts. I thank you, God, that tonight in each and every person you would place courage. Tonight you would place boldness. Tonight you would place a a want to see this city transformed. I thank you, God, that over these next weeks you would open people's eyes to their colleagues, to their friends, God, to the people that they walk past every day and don't engage with. I pray that you would give us faith to open our homes, to open our spaces to people who need hope. I pray that you would give us faith to to have our hearts softened by you again, God. I pray that where religion and rightness have crept in, I pray that your grace would explode those things, Jesus. I thank you, Father, that tonight you are calling us to far more than we could ever hope, dream, or imagine. I pray tonight you would put faith in our hearts, God, to love this incredible neighborhood called Tableview, called Milnerton, called Cape Town, Jesus. Because you've got a radical call for each and every one of us. Use us, Jesus, in your incredible name, God.